Last week we looked at uh, chapter 1, the introduction to this man who is well known, Jonah. We saw that Jonah was a prophet of God with the mission of God, and he ran away. Or he tried, anyways. He tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. And as we learned last week, that obviously did not mean that he thought that if he got on a boat, God would not be there. He tried to flee from the divine presence of the the purpose of God for him. Uh, That blessing in the ministry of God, he tried to depart from that. So he got on a boat, and of course God was there. And God sent the storm. And it's interesting how we saw the, the, the shape of the sailors' minds change. They were just throwing darts in the air. Everybody needs to try and, and try their God, try this God, try that God, because we need to appease the gods because something is wrong. And yet, they come to Jonah and find out that he has angered his God. He angered his God and he told the men, as he was getting on the boat, he already told them, I'm trying to run away from my God. I'm trying to flee from his presence. And so they said, what have you done? And Jonah describes his God to them. He says, this is the God of heaven. He made the heavens and the earth and the the sea. They thought, Jonah, you are a fool. If your God made the sea, how do you think you could escape him? If your God made the dry land, how do you think you can ever escape him? And so Jonah was tossed overboard. The only way for the people to live, it seemed, was for Jonah to die. Almost like a sacrifice. Jonah said, throw me over. He expected very well to die. It was was a raging storm, right? In the middle of the sea, he says, throw me over. That means death. So what he anticipated. So he gets thrown overboard. We read at the very end of the first chapter, And the Lord appointed, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah, who expected to die, was rescued by a miracle. He's rescued by this miracle, this great fish. Thomas Thomas Carlyle once admitted, which is far too common, he says, I was so obsessed with what was going on inside the whale that I missed seeing the drama inside of Jonah. Sometimes we are so caught up in this idea of the whale or the great big fish or or how could that have worked? How could he have breathed? Was there stomach juices in there? Was he conscious? We're so caught up in this miracle and we should be. It is a miracle. But that should not take over the story of Jonah as it does. Every time the child learns about Jonah, what do they walk away with? There was a big fish who swallowed Jonah. They don't know anything of Jonah's turmoil. It's almost like they did not read chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Jonah, which we're going to look at this morning, is what happened to Jonah inside this great fish. There will be a number of things that you'll be able to take away from this morning. You'll see a model of prayer. You'll see what it means to be humbled by God. You will learn to experience certain life moments in light of God's mercy. You will know that God does not abandon his people. And as a general umbrella, you will learn how to find mercy in misery. This is God's word, Jonah chapter 2. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me begin by highlighting the phrase that is found at the end. Oh, sorry, I forgot one verse, which is on my next page. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out onto dry land. It's so interesting, the chapter breaks, right? So even how... The end of chapter 1, it seems like it should end at verse 16, but yet it includes that, that he appointed the fish, and then into end of chapter 2 into 3, seems like it should be there. But anyways, uh, let me uh, begin by highlighting the phrase which is found at the end of the chapter in verse 9. Uh, it is, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation. Rescue. Redemption, someone who is lost but now is found, someone who is blind but now they see, someone who is dead but now they live. Salvation, as we always read the word, we think eternal salvation, which we should. Which we should when we read the word of salvation, that someone has been saved and we think, yes, they've been saved for eternity, from the wrath of God. That is good to think that way. But what's beautiful about this term, salvation, in right in this Hebrew here, is it is not singular. It is not only talking about an eternal salvation, but it points to the very salvation that Jonah had experienced in being swallowed up by a great fish. It, it pointed to what was actually his current Temporal, earthly salvation. God had rescued him from something else. He rescued him from the sea. This salvation, it says, not just eternal but temporal, it belongs to the Lord. Salvation in any regard, any real rescue, any real redemption, any real uh, relief of sin or trials, it belongs to It is never apart from. It is inaccessible any other way. You cannot get salvation apart from Jesus. Apart from the Lord. Jesus says in John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He is the only way. Salvation belongs to 
the Lord. It is in His possession and no one else's. Acts tells us that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Saved. There is no way of salvation except by Jesus. This is so important that it belongs to the Lord. This is, as we learned last week, as you see in the Old Testament, when it's still capital L-O-R-D, it's all capitals, it's translated from Yahweh, um, and that is the personal name for God, the name for the God of heaven, the God of the Jews. This is Yahweh, the God who cares, the God who keeps covenant. This is the Lord. Salvation, then, belongs to Him and Him alone. It was salvation for Jonah in this moment from distress and from misery. I love that this phrase captures and reminds us of the eternal salvation. It belongs to the Lord, and we think yes and amen. That miserable state of our soul, the despairing state of our soul that can be dealt with. Our soul that is in great darkness and great distress, it needs rescue. It can be dealt with. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This distress and this broken spiritual heart can be mended. Oh, that great salvation does belong to the Lord, who is unchanging and true and merciful. If a person ever fails to get anything else out of the book of Jonah, you want them to get that. The salvation belongs to the Lord. Don't let them think about the fish or the boat or the guys on the boat. Salvation belongs to the Lord is a central message. Why, why was Jonah sent? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So if a person's ever to get anything else in life, they must get this. That they must go through the way that God has designed. They may be saved from the penalty of sin and, and the guilt of their sin. If they believe in Jesus, who took the penalty, who stood and was guilty on their behalf as a substitute. This is the way that belongs to the Lord of salvation. Jesus rising victorious on the third day and will one day come again for his people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. But when we understand that most important salvation that belongs to the Lord, we can also begin to see how it applies not just to eternity for our soul, but also very physically in our situation. And here for Jonah, it's no less true. How many things in your life do you just wish would maybe stop? Or stop being there? Hard relationships, painful bodies, awkward conversations, debt, ridicule, depression, temptation, addiction. There are many days and many situations that are distressing and difficult and perhaps downright miserable. And sometimes, like Jonah, we've had a very large role. We have almost caused those things, those distressing times. The, oftentimes the reason might be because of us, as it was with Jonah. 
Have we put ourselves in a situation? Have we not put ourselves in God's way? What is the reason for us being in a certain place in a certain time, maybe in distress as Jonah was? But there's other times when it's not because of what we've done. It's not because you were a bad person that you now suffer physically. You know how many people say that when they get to the end of their life? What have I done to deserve this? I was a good person. I served God. What? So they think that their dying process is owing to the fact that they must have screwed up. They must not have tithed enough or prayed enough or went to church enough. It's not related sometimes. Death is a natural process that will come to all of us. And so just because someone begins to die doesn't mean they've done something. But for some people, it does. We read in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, God says that some people are being judged in a way that he is allowing them to die because of judgment. So it's either way, depends on whether we caused it or whether we did not cause it. That's not the question here. We look at what Jonah describes as his distress and we realize that God is a God of salvation. Belongs to him. Jonah was in a situation of distress. Look at verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Before you go any further, you must remember that although he communicated this when he was on dry land, so... Obviously, he wasn't like had a pen and paper in the belly of the fish and was writing down this prayer. He obviously communicated this later. So oftentimes, I think early on when I would read this chapter, I would think, okay, he was talking about the whole circumstance, that it was distressful to be swallowed up by a fish. That whole thing was this distress, but it wasn't. The distress, because this is out of the belly of the fish, he's referring to being in the deep. In the water, where he thought as soon as he went overboard, he was dead. And that he might suffer in the process. He might struggle for a while in the water. He might cough and sputter and drown. That was the distress he referred to. It was the distress of being thrown overboard. It was the distress of being convinced he was dead. That he deserved God's judgment. He had sinned. He had not obeyed God. He had run from God. He had abandoned God's plan for him. He was trying to run away from that which was good. He outright disobeyed God's command. So God had every right to end his life that day. And to do so painfully. But instead, in mercy, God threw him into a great distress, the sea. That which was minutes before a raging storm... All it promised was difficulty and trial and pain. And now, as soon as he was in this vast waters, God calmed it and then sent a rescue. An unconventional rescue. One that no one would have ever thought. Kind of like the Son of God coming to die for sinners. Unconventional. Who would ever think that God would come in the flesh... And not sin, yet die as a sinner. Die the criminal's death. Pay the the penalty for sin. Who would have ever thought of that way of salvation? The God of mercy did. 
The God of mercy did. Here, as Jonah did not have to taste death. In this moment, because God, in his mercy, rescued him. He begins describing his time. We don't know how short or how long he was left to struggle in the water. But to him, it was so distressing. He describes it in this entire chapter. He begins by describing his time, this moment of judgment in the water, as distress in verse 2. Also in verse 2, he says that it was out of the belly of Sheol, or out of the grave. Like He felt like he was already in the grave. He was dead. Good as dead. Count him as dead. Which further gives us an indication that he thought, God has finally judged me in this moment. And there is no hope left for me. I'm going to die in my sin. I'm going to die disobedient to God. Running away from God. God will never be merciful to me. A great sinner. In verse 3, he describes it as the deep. The heart of the sea, he says. The flood that surrounded him. Waves and billows that passed over him. The trial that he faced. And then you look down further in verse 5. He describes it as the waters closing in over him. To take his life. The deep. The the vastness of the water, the deep. He couldn't see the bottom. There was nowhere to put his foot to get a foothold. There was no hope of land grabbing on to anything. It was the deep. It was a situation of hopelessness. There was no hope left in the deep. The deep surrounded me, he says in verse 5, and then weeds were wrapped about my head. So not only do I feel like I can't get my footing anywhere, I feel like I'm being strangled. I can't even keep myself afloat. I can't even tread water here. The weeds are wrapped about my head. He felt like he was trapped. And you see, he says it even further. He says, I went down, verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He felt like he'd been locked in a prison cell with weeds wrapped around his head in a vast water that he could not escape. That is about the darkest description of distress you can imagine. It is so devastating what he felt. He thought, for certain, this is all that I know. This is all that will, I will know until I die. So that he said in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, maybe in and out of consciousness, couldn't tread water anymore, felt trapped, felt like he had displeased God, that God was angry with him, and God would never, never respond to him. But he cried out. Verse 2 tells us. I cried out to the Lord. Out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of the grave. Out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. In his distress. In his darkness. He cried out. I don't know. I wonder if life has ever been. Dark for you. If you've ever felt like you're in the deep. If you've ever been surrounded by something you cannot control and it entangles you. You feel like 
this is the end of who I am. This is the end of my faith. I, how dark have times been? Like you were in the deep, surrounded by a flood, waves crashing over you, so that if you tried to pop up, another one came. Couldn't catch your breath for a moment. Water's closing in, a sense of, of drowning. Maybe it's in your sin or in your sorrow, in your depression. The water's closing in. The circumstances are hard and they are never letting up. Ever felt trapped behind bars like there's nothing you can do to escape your present circumstance that is so hard? Ever felt trapped? Perhaps you're in the midst of feeling like this. Whether it's in temptation or sin or addiction or depression or loneliness or just one thing after another blasting you like the waves. For me, over the past year and a half, when people would always ask me, how am I really doing? I would tell them I'm like treading water. I feel like I'm treading water. <laughs> and oftentimes when I'm treading water, another wave comes and hits me in the face. That's what my last year and a half has felt like. Like barely escaping, barely grasping air. So I know, I know that the feeling Not to the degree that Jonah was in distress here, but man, I know what it's like to tread water. Many of these days, treading water, wave after wave, things I could not control, things I did not desire for my life, for my family. Difficult, distressing days. What has it been for you? What is it for you? Where is the the deep, the, the, the things that you think there's no end to this? There's no place for me to put my foot up just to get a breath. It won't stop. The trials keep coming. My family. My health. My finances. What is the deep that is surrounding you? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's in the past and you've come through it. It's most certainly in the future. What is the deep? Whatever it may be. I want us to learn something very important. The only way to get through the deep is to know without a doubt salvation belongs to the Lord. (laughs) There's no other way. In our humanness, in our brokenness, in our fallenness, we always try to find a way. Well, if I can just get this, if this treatment just works, if I just get a better job, if I just eat healthier, if I... We look for so many things to rescue us from the present circumstance when we realize that salvation, yes, eternal, but also temporal, only belongs to the Lord. That if there is any escape of any misery, that it would be by the mercy of God. The plan and the purpose of God and his mercy is always perfect. And here's the thing, sometimes there's no escape from the present darkness. And we just have to learn to kiss the wave that crashes against us, that throws us towards the mercy of God. As you come up for breath and it slams you back, you realize it's taking you to God's mercy again and again. What's amazing about this chapter here is we have Jonah, the runaway failure prophet. The Christian who's dropped the ball. who's not done well to listen to God. He's been a coward in his faith. He's been weak in trusting and believing God, we see Jonah completely humbled. He's completely humbled. 
Exactly where every one of us needs to be. Humbled before God. So in the state of his humility before God, verse 2 tells us, he didn't try as, remember in chapter 1, what they were trying to do to keep this boat afloat, right? Well, okay, let's just try throwing out the heavy stuff. We can float a little better. Okay, let's try tossing out prayers to all these different types of false gods. Let's try that. Okay, let's try rowing harder to get to dry land. They tried and tried and tried. They realized the only thing that was a true rescue, as you see in verse 2, Jonah cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He was humbled. God, I need you. All that I'm trying to do, all that I think that I can do to solve this situation has not worked. He's humbled. To, To cry out to the Lord. And he cries out to the Lord in honesty and in truth. Verse 3, look at it there. It says, For you cast me into the deep. He was honest with God in his prayer. He was honest. He didn't just say, Well, something happened, and I happened to be in this hard circumstance, and it's because of me, or maybe the weather, or I don't know what's to blame, God, but I know you, you can rescue me. No, Jonah was honest. He prayed, For you cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Like, God, this is you who did this. He's praying honestly. This is the God that he wanted to flee. The God he was trying to abandon. He recognizes, God, you did this thing. You brought those waves. And you brought the next wave that I felt made me feel like I was drowning. You did it. This is the God he's crying out to. The God whom he recognizes as sovereign even over the waves. He's in control of the wind and the waves. He says, God, you did this. Verse 4 is telling. He says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. This is Jonah who tried to abandon God. And now... He, in his distress, is saying, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. I am driven away from your sight. He says, God, like, you've, you've tossed me away. You've abandoned me, God. He, he is praying so honestly. I don't know if you ever pray this way and feel like, God, have you, have you departed? Where are you, God? And Until you humble yourself and realize, as with Jonah... You ran away? That you abandoned God? That God will never leave you or forsake you? So if you ever have this sensation or the feeling that God has abandoned you, look at where you have walked and how far you have run. He says, I feel like I'm driven away from your sight. I feel abandoned. In verse 7, you begin to see his resolve. When my life was fanning away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. He knew who God was. He knew what God was capable of. He knew that God was a covenant-keeping God. He knew that God was merciful. 
knew that God was right in all of his judgments. He remembered the Lord. That is the greatest thing for you to do and for me to do when we're in the midst of our distress, when when the waves of whatever it may be keep crashing against you, all the enemy wants you to do is focus on the wave. Pray about the wave. Pray about the distressing situation or circumstance. Pray about escape from that. The enemy just wants you to focus on the, the trial. And Jonah, he reveals to us What we're to do is to focus on God. I remembered the Lord. I remembered all that you have done in the past, oh God. I'm so thankful that we have God's word, right? That that chronicles for us. It shows us how he has treated people who have been disobedient. So when you feel like, because you've disobeyed God, now you feel distance from God, you think... I don't know. I don't know if he'll ever forgive me again. And again, I've been sinning as a Christian for the last 15 years. Will God be merciful again? We have the Bible that we can say, I remember the Lord. I remember the people of Israel who were so foolish as I have been. And God was merciful. I remember Jonah who tried to run away from God, who tried to do his own thing, insisted on his own way, and God was merciful to him. I remember the Lord. What do you remember about the Lord in the times of distress? Do you know the Lord enough? Do you know him well enough? Do you believe him enough? So that in the midst of your distress, you might remember him and come to him in prayer and say, I remembered my prayer came to you into your holy temple. That means back into your presence. I try to run away from your presence, but into your holy temple I come. And we know that we have access to God through our Savior Jesus Christ. Yet I shall again, Jonah says, look upon your holy temple. I shall again come into your presence. The presence that I tried to flee from, I want to be there. Psalm 84 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And it's even better to be a doorkeeper, to be on the edge of the presence of God. It's better to do that than to dwell in the house of wickedness or to be apart from the presence of God, his favorable presence. So I shall again, as I remember, I shall come into your presence. I shall worship you. I shall desire to be with you and serve you. So Jonah then, humbled, honest, has resolved to remember the Lord Desires to be back in God's presence. And he says in verse 9, with a voice of thanksgiving, he's remembered God's mercy. He is seen now being rescued, being saved from the deep, being saved from that sea. He's in the belly of this fish and he's thanking God. He's thanking God. How much time do you spend in the midst of of your situation thanking God. Often it's after. But with Jonah, we are to be lifting up our voice of thanksgiving, sacrificing to him, that is, giving of whatever it may be that might please God. And he says at the end of verse 9 there, what I have vowed I will pay. How many of us have sang, I surrender all? 
where we've vowed to God, I, 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 God, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you everything I am. What I vowed, I will pay. What have you given to God? What have you said, God, yes, use this in my life. Are you good for it? Have you offered things to God with a closed hand and say, I'm actually not going to give that? What I have vowed, what you have promised, will you give it to God? Because salvation belongs to this God. This mercy that is found in Jonah's misery is only when he begins to not think about the situation, but think about the Savior. The Savior. That's the escape. That's even his emotional escape. That is his uh, physical escape. That is his spiritual escape. Is salvation belongs to this Lord. Who is this God? The God of mercy. He is looking to him for his salvation. He has recognized God has saved him. So then he celebrates God. In the midst, in the belly of this miraculous fish, Jonah has a turmoil in his heart that he's confessing and it's coming out. He's coming humble before God, honest before God, remembering God, thanking God, sacrificing to God and promising God. How great it is to restore a relationship with the God that you have tried to abandon. And it was by God's doing, not Jonah's. God is so merciful. So if you think for a moment, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if God still would love me. I don't know how God could love me. Think of Jonah. Think of Jonah. Not, not Jonah because he did something great. No, he, he did not. You think of how God was so merciful to Jonah. And God will be merciful to you. If he has a, a plan and a purpose in your life, it doesn't mean that he's always going to rescue you from the sea. That might be the way you die, is in turmoil and distress and depression and in temptation. By God's grace, we will remember the Lord that salvation belongs to him. And, and with that hope and with that joy, we will do all that we can do, even in the midst of our turmoil, not to focus on the turmoil Not to focus on our own problems, but to focus on and remember the Lord. So that when we come out, or we even have a moment to gasp some breath, we might testify to others. God is still good. God is still good. Whenever you get a breath, God is still good. And you know what sort of testimony that gives to people? It's incredible. It's incredible. And you guys have been able to witness that in, in our lives as we've been crashed against the waves of trial over the last while. And, and for unbelieving people to say, like, I, I don't understand, but I see that you have some kind of trust in God. It's like, that's what, exactly what it is. Because it's nothing else. <laughs> it is not that he's made anything easier or better or... No, it, it's not. The trials compound. But God's mercy is more. So we thank him for it. And we remember him. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for our brother Jonah. Thank you that we have recorded this example of a man who tried to run away from serving you, and yet you were merciful to him. God, we thank you for that, because there's times where we run away from serving you. You have put people in our lives that we know we're supposed to tell them about Jesus, and we run away. We have neighbors we've never spoken the name Jesus to. We have family members we've never told them that Jesus can save them from their sin. God, we are like Jonah more than we'd like to admit. So we're thankful that salvation belongs to the Lord. That mercy is given. So God, would you help us to remember? Help us to remember you in the midst of our situations, in the midst of our trials, to look to you, to save us, to to rescue us, to provide any sort of hope, even if it does not mean ending our trials. God, we want to live in our trials or in our triumphs. We want to live for you. So help us to celebrate that you have saved us by grace. Help us to take that message to others that they might be saved by grace. We want to be people who remember salvation belongs to the Lord and who live in light of that even in the midst of our trials. Would you help us to do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.